about how we all have drama in relationships. I mean, I was in middle school, I was in high school, I'm an adult, it doesn't really end. Uh, there's just drama in relationships, it's just the reality. And then I was reading Genesis 1 and 2, and God created a beautiful, perfect world with no sin. And the first chance we got, we messed it up. Um, and I realized, like, even the fall was drama. That's what it was, like blame and triangulation. It's not my fault. <laughs> blame it on somebody else. So I realized even the, even the fall into sin is drama. So I know we all deal with drama in relationships because we're sinful, and so, so are the people that we have friendships with. And I realized there's like a whole history of firsts when it comes to drama in the Bible. So if you can reach your gathering Bible, get your gathering Bible out now, we're going to trace a short history of firsts with drama in scripture. All right. So we just read the fall, Genesis 3. Did your dad really say you can't eat that right now? Um, yeah, he, he said I can't eat it. He just doesn't want you to have what's best. It's really good. Try it. No big deal. It is good. I'm going to share it with my boyfriend. Oh, she told me to. He tricked me. Uh, that was kind of the first, first drama at all. So we're going to stay in Genesis. And Genesis 3 is kind of the first couple drama, right? Like Adam and Eve, they fought. It's the very first couple drama. It's right there, the fall into sin. And that's a lot of what a lot of drama in, in high school is uh, either couple drama or I want to be couple drama. Uh, one, of my, one of my high school big, big drama was not my first crush, but the first one that liked me back ever. Kim had a crush on before I did. And you know, like that's the friend code. You can't do that. You can't go there. But then Ryan told the other people on the bus in band, uh, on the way to state, like, that he liked me, and they all knew that I liked him, but I wasn't ever going to tell anybody, because Kim liked him first, and then Kim found out, and she came up to where I was on the bus, crying, I give you my blessing, and I was like, sweet, I'm going to date Ryan, and then we broke up, and then he dated Shana, which was the first time I kissed him, so hey, I know about drama and relationships, uh, but... So let's look at some other drama, because it's not all with just friends and couples, right? So drama, I mean, drama four. Genesis four, you got Cain and Abel. You've got the first sibling drama right there. Raise your hand if you have a brother or a sister. Okay, so it looks like everyone in here knows sibling drama. <laughs> There's a lot. It's always there. Uh, hopefully, you're not going to kill your brother, though, okay? Let's not go that far. Then skip ahead. You got Genesis six. You've got the first time that drama completely took over, um, increasing corruption on the earth. The sin got so bad that God decided to start over. The drama was so bad it completely took over. Have you ever seen drama be so bad that it just completely takes over? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not fun. All right. Let's go to Genesis chapter 9. I think the first dad drama is kind of funny. Hopefully, if you have drama with your dad, it's not this. Um, look at verses 20 through 22. So they've been on this stinky boat. Uh, there's a whole lot of animal poop going on. They're stuck on it. Probably a little hot and muggy like in here, plus the smell of animal poop. So it's not so bad in here, right? So first thing that happens when Noah gets off the boat, he imbibed a bit too much. Genesis 9, 20 through 22. 
Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. So dad, Noah, got off the boat, planted a vineyard, made wine, and got so drunk that he got passed out naked in his tent. This is the first thing he does when he gets off the ark. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So son sees it, giggling, goes, gets his two brothers. <laughs> Look at dad. <laughs> That's the first dad drama right there. And raise your hand if you've made fun of your dad with your siblings. This is like our favorite thing to do, actually, is make fun of my dads. And in my family, I have two kids, and we have a saying... A dad joke is a bad joke. All dad jokes are bad jokes, but not all bad jokes are dad jokes. How do you know if it's a dad joke? It'll be apparent. <laughs> My 11-year-old made that one up, or at least he thinks he did, so I'm going to tell him it got a laugh. All right, so flip just like one page, Genesis 11. This is the first time drama got so bad, people united in their drama for evil. <laughs> they said... Let us build a tower all the way up to heaven. And it got so bad that God gave us different languages so we couldn't unite because when we unite, we do more powerful evil. <laughs> we try to be like God as a group. So that was the first time that people united to create drama. Go to Genesis chapter 16, verse 4. This is what I think is the first friend drama in the Bible. Genesis 16, 4. All right. Abram and Sarai, always taking matters into their own hands. God promised them descendants. They were trying. It wasn't happen, happening for them. They weren't getting pregnant. So Sarai came up with a plan B because God had plan A. And she said, honey, I'm giving you permission. You, you have a list. You have a list of one. It's Hagar, my maidservant. Let's... Let's have a surrogate. So chapter 16, verse 4. And he went into Hagar. You know what that means. And she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked down with contempt on her mistress. All Sarai wanted was a baby. It's all she wanted. She wasn't getting pregnant. She let her husband sleep with her mistress, with her like handmaiden. She got pregnant. And when Hagar got pregnant, she looked down on Sarai. It got pretty bad. They had some pretty severe friend drama. Because these two women probably spent 23 hours a day together. Probably not the hour that we just read about in verse 4. But a lot of the other ones. And here we have blame and triangula triangulation entering in again. Um, verses 5 and 6. Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Okay, she's, it was her idea, but now she's already saying, like, may this wrong that Hagar looks down on me be on you. This is on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Sarai was so mean to Hagar, she ran away. It was really bad. Um, and Sarai, it was her idea, but she blamed Abram. And then he said, ah, not my problem, do what you want. And she treated her so harshly that Hagar literally ran away. 
Um, the next part's like really beautiful. So if you want to read that another time, because it's a little hot to do it now. Um, Hagar is seen by God. He takes care of her and she renames the place Bear Lahai Roy. And she says, you are the God who sees me. So there's some redemption, even though there's some drama. All right, we're going to skip ahead to chapter 21, the first helicopter mom drama. (laughs) I know, how is that in there? Um, Chapter 21, verses 8 through 10. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, Ishmael, whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. So Ishmael is laughing here at his half-brother. So she, Sarah, said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. So that's the first helicopter mom right there. It's Sarah. I see this big brother mistreating my precious baby, and I'm going to step in and get what I want from my boy. So we've got the first helicopter mom right there. Um, we're going to go with some boyfriend-dad drama. Raise your hand if you have a boyfriend. Any, any weird drama with him and your dad ever? No? Nice. Okay, some people, yes. Uh, here we have the first boyfriend-dad drama, Genesis 24. You've got Isaac and Rebecca. Um, you guys know this story of Isaac and Rebecca? I'm getting some no's. Okay, uh, read about Hagar first and then read this one. So... Isaac and Rebecca here. We're not going to read the whole thing. It's just too hot. Um, but there's some, da- there's some drama here with dad and the boyfriend. Ends up being the husband. But the dad's not real honest here, and neither is the boyfriend. And it does work out. They get married, but there also are two wives. So it doesn't, it doesn't work out great. And then we've got, we, I know we already had the helicopter mom, but we've got some more mama drama in chapter 27, verse 5. Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. They are tricking him here. So there's some more serious drama. Mom's jumping in. She's going to help him trick her, his dad into giving him the blessing. Uh, So we've got some, like, biblical examples of triangulation here. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that phrase, but we're going to start with a basic triangle, okay? So let's say this is you, and this is your friend, and you have a problem, okay? You're mad at each other. Um, If you talk to your friend, that's really healthy, but you also have a mutual friend. If you talk to your friend about your other friend, That's triangulation. Because what you're really wanting is not to vent. It's not a good listening ear. You're wanting this person on your side (laughs) against this person, creating a triangle. So that's triangulation. And it is not healthy in relationships. We all know that that's not how you deal with it. So we all have drama in friendships. We all have drama in relationships. We see that really it boils down to sin. That's what drama is. It's sin. So how do you actually deal with it? Because we haven't talked about that part yet. We're going to talk about a biblical solution to drama in relationships. Obviously, the answer is Jesus. We're at the youth gathering. You knew that was going to be the answer. But (laughs) let's talk about that a little more. Jesus does heal relationships. Um, Jesus came 
for reconciliation. That's basically like making up and getting back together. So we read Genesis 3. We sinned. First chance we got, we messed up. And Jesus came to reconcile us to himself. God is a holy God, and God can't be in the presence of sin because God is holy. So sin can't be in the presence of holiness, and holiness isn't going to be in the presence of sin. So Jesus came here to reconcile us to God. And Jesus does that in other relationships too. The Bible says that Jesus gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So Jesus came to earth so that we could make up with God, but we can't. He made up with us, right? We did the wrong. He didn't say, I'm sorry, because we're the ones who did the wrong, but he's the one who made it right. Um, righteousness being made right, justification. Like if you think of a word document, you can left justify it or right justify it or center justify it. Right justification is being made right. Like it all lines up on the right side. He made us right. He justified us. By his sacrifice, we were justified and we, we can be one with God now. We're not broken up with God anymore. We're back together with God because of Jesus' actions. But he also gives us the ministry of reconciliation and relationships. And he gives us that ability to help other people come back together. So when people try to triangulate you, which will happen, you're going to have friends who are in a fight. It's just inevitable. This person is going to come talk to you about this person. The thing to do is tell them, you talk, go talk to that person. Don't talk to me about it. Talk to that person. Um, we're going to go to Matthew 18 now. And if you have a pencil, go ahead and get it out because this is super helpful. And this is the words of Jesus. And when I take groups to the youth gathering and we write a covenant, this is like the first thing in it. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother over. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For whether, whether two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among with them. Maybe that's why it's so hot in here, because Jesus is in here. <laughs> we think that there's a certain number of chairs, but Jesus is in here too. It's that extra body heat. Um, but verse 15, even out of context, is really the solution to drama in relationships. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. We read about sibling drama. This doesn't just mean your actual brother. This means your brother in Christ. Anytime someone does something, the person to talk to about it is that person. And if we could just do that, we would avoid like 99% of drama in our friendships if we just talk to the person one-on-one. -on -one. And... I know this is not really what you want to hear, but it really doesn't get better when you're an adult. I work at a church. We're supposed to be like holy people. But even at my church, when the person whose office is next to mine, when he's irritated with our boss, he doesn't always go talk to our boss. He comes and vents to me, and then I get sucked in. And I actually love my boss. He's one of my best friends. 
<laughs> but it's so hard, right? Like, how do you remove yourself from that situation? I have to literally physically remove myself from the situation. Um, I really struggle with gossip. I do. It's hard for me. I get sucked in. And I also struggle with toxic relationships. When people are down, that saying, misery loves company, is true. When people are down, they're going to try to bring you down too. It's the nature of sin. And God made us all different with different strengths and weaknesses. And two of my weaknesses are I get sucked into the gossip really easily. And if people are toxic and what's going on, like I'm kind of a positive person by nature, but I get sucked into negativity really easily. And so other people's attitude can bring me down. The only thing I can do is literally physically remove myself from the situation. So what I have to do is try to figure out how to do that without coming off as judgmental. Because my weakness and my sin, that's about me. That's not on them. It's not their fault that if they vent, I get sucked in. So I have to remove myself from the situation and be honest and say, you know what? I really struggle with gossip. I've got to go to my office and do something else right now. I'm going to get sucked in. I just have to be honest about that. Um, but then if I'm the one who feels like I need a listening ear, instead, I need to go to the person I have a problem with. And then that takes some empathy and like listening and respect and not assuming that you're right and digging in your heels, but like really listening to the other person so you can reconcile. Um, we're going to look at a few more verses right now. So keep your Bible open. And if you have a pencil, go for it. We're going to go to Colossians 3.13. Oh, I'm going to read 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint about another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. So definitely underline that because that is key when it comes to dealing with drama. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And it says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So that's the basic golden rule right there. Um, if you want people to talk to you when they're mad at you instead of your best friend, you should have the same respect for them. And if you want them to forgive you when you mess up, you got to forgive too. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 9. I have down most of the chapter. We're not going to read it. It's hot. You're going to add that to your list of three things that you're going to read later tonight. Hebrews chapter 12. It's two different sections. And it's saying, like, don't grow weary of doing good. I am going to read it. Sorry. We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields that peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Lift, therefore, your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one would see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, 
though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight of Moses that he said, I tremble with fear. I really want you to focus on that part on verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled. That root of bitterness just like, you know, it's like a spiral. It just keeps you sucked down. And so that's when we have to back out and say, okay, Jesus heals relationships. He's forgiven me. How can I avoid triangulation and not get sucked in, not let that root of bitterness bring me down? Um. And then also, we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for revival, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Do not repay evil for evil, but on the contrary, bless. When you get back at somebody, like that bitterness is going to poison you, not the other person. Revenge is like taking poison and waiting for the person you're mad at to die. <laughs> it's not how it works. Um, you're the one that that's going to hurt. And then uh, my last verse that I want to look at right now, James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Okay, well, that'd be great, right? I want to love my neighbor as myself. If you really fulfill it, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you know, putting some people above others, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as though who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you're putting some people in your life above others and like treating popular people different than those who are struggling, this says that it's just as bad as if you murder. <laughs> That's what this is saying. If you have sinned in one point of the law, it's as if you've broken the whole law. Would we think more highly of those who can give us social favor than those who can't? It's, we've broken the whole law. The good news, of course, is we have a Jesus who forgives, and we know that we mess up, and we know that no matter how hard we try to do right and treat people right, we're also going to do wrong and treat people wrong. But we know that Jesus forgives. Because he forgives us, we can also show mercy to others. Verse 13 Judgment is without mercy to one who has no, shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So not only Jesus' mercy to us triumphs over judgment, and the only tool the devil has is accusation and lying. So like all he's got is he can remind you of the time you messed up and the way you hurt someone and make you think about it. That's all he's got. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So every time the devil speaks to you and reminds you of your mistakes, remember this verse, because God's mercy triumphs over our own judgment of ourselves or Satan's accusation and reminders of that. What I really want this to boil down to 
is that Jesus forgives us and we forgive others. And Matthew 18 is so helpful. If we can remember to talk directly to that person instead of about that person, that helps us avoid the drama in the first place. But then also once it begins, that's how we get out of it. We have to be honest and that takes a lot of vulnerability. Um, It's not putting ourselves first, it's putting others first in their relationships. 